believes in uh, Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright. <clears throat> and this is uh, part two of the six-part series that I'm teaching this week on the importance of receiving the revelation and know it, the revelation of who we are in God and knowing who we are in God. And then also we'll be discussing how that affects our ability to, uh, to be used of God uh, victoriously in spiritual warfare. In order to be used of God, we have to know who we are in God. And I don't mean you have to know all the details of God's plan for your life, but we need to know the principles of the word that tells us who we are in God. Now, each one of us has our own place in God's plan and purpose. It's a unique place. I'm not in competition with anybody for my place. You're not in competition with anybody for your place in God. The only issue is whether or not you and I will fulfill the place he ordained for us. Uh, because if we don't, then we are missing the mark, which is the literal definition of the Greek word translated sin. Uh, it, sin is not failing to do the do's and doing the do nots. Uh, sin, that's, that's such a, 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 a limited, shallow, lack of understanding of God and the things of God that it, that if you think that's what sin is, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be offensive, but the word literally means missing the mark. And the word, the root word for missing the mark is portion or share. The root Greek word for the sin, word sin, uh, and I can't pronounce it, H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A, -A -A, something like that, which is the English equivalent letters of the Greek, uh, the root word for the Greek word that literally means uh, missing the mark, but is translated sin, is portion or share. So if I am not fulfilling my place in God by his grace, uh, his portion, uh, finding and doing my place, having my portion or share, then I am missing the mark. And uh, so God has a, a will for you. He has a will for me, but he has an overarching plan that all of that fits into. And each one of us is like a piece of his giant jigsaw puzzle. He has created a place uniquely just for you, just for me. And I am supposed to submit myself to the will of God and by the, the, the spirit of God, which working in me, which we call grace, that it, I, by the grace of God, I am empowered to both desire to do what's pleasing to him and then empowered to do what's pleasing to him. And what pleases God is for me to submit myself, my will to him, and to find and fulfill my place in him as he does that through me, because I can't possibly do that naturally. It's not done by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. 
So all of my talent and ability and all my intellect cannot possibly enable me to fulfill my place in God. Jesus said, John six sixty three, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. And oh, I know humanity. I've lived 74 years with mine. And I'm telling you right now, flesh doesn't like to be told that it can't do anything that on its own that God will ever approve of. Ever. Ever. Cain offered the works of his humanity and as a sacrifice and God rejected it. Abel offered what God produced that he simply was a steward of and God accepted it. That's the difference between religion and having a, an intimate personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the difference. And it doesn't matter what the name of that religion is, including Christianity, when practiced as a religion. It is man bringing to God his own efforts to, uh, to somehow appease or please God, whichever your perspective would be. The Lord accepts neither one of those. Uh, Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. And so the only things that God accepts from me is that which he produces through me. And all the glory then belongs to him. So I need to know my place in him again. Long before I know all, all the details of my personal place in God, the principles of the word of God will tell me the overarching revelation of my place in God and your place in God individually and collectively as the church, the body of Christ. So this is lesson two. This is part two of the subject of, of receiving, knowing, believing the uh, the revelation of who we are in God individually and collectively and how Im- how important that revelation is and walking in that revelation is if you're going to be involved in the kingdom of God and you cannot be involved and are not involved with the kingdom of God if you're not involved in spiritual warfare every day and that's easily proven by the scriptures that Jesus gave us as instructions for how we were to pray. And they are commands. They're not suggestions. Matthew chapter six, uh, I believe it's verses eight or nine through 13. And then Luke chapter 11, verses two through four. He said, after this manner, pray ye and the word pray. It is in, in the imperative tense of command, both in the English and the Greek. It's not optional. This is how he told us to pray. He never told us to repeat those words. He told us to pray these principles of prayer. Luke 11 is quite unique because the disciples came upon him praying and apparently they observed him praying for some period of time. And when he was finished praying, they said to him, teach us to pray. So whatever he was praying, however he was praying, it wasn't the way they prayed. And they recognized it wasn't the way they prayed, even though they were all faithful Hebrews to the, to the, uh, to the, uh, the words of the old covenant and the teachings of the old covenant. They did not know how to pray as Jesus prayed. And so here we are. And so today we're going to talk about uh, sons of God. Now, 
I'm just, I'm just simply trying to obey God. I, uh, I, uh, don't have an agenda here. Uh, I've done a lot of zoom calls in the last few months teaching, but I really like the fact that I can't see anybody's face at all. I'm looking at a camera lens. And so I don't see your expressions. I don't see your, your expressions of joy or puzzlement or anger or, uh, rejection or acceptance or any of that. Uh, all of that is between you and God. It's not my problem. So all I, my problem is, and it's not a problem because I've submitted to it. My responsibility is just to obey God. And he has told me to do this. If everybody watches or nobody watches, I am simply obeying God. And when I finish, I'm, I have done what God told me to do. What people do with that, that's between him and them. And, uh, it's fine with me if I don't ever know what's being done with it. I don't need, uh, I don't need to know what he chooses me to know is fine. I'm rambling here saying all this to get to the point of making, uh, if I were to teach this lesson, just this part of the subject in the studio, as I've been teaching and then posting the series of lessons on, um, my Bible with a Bishop YouTube channel, uh, this lesson would probably to, to really truly teach this lesson and all the points that should be made that I, I that I would uh, love to make if it was up to me, uh, it would probably be anywhere from 15 to 20 lessons that would have to be taught to teach this uh, with some measure of uh, thoroughness. You can't ever exhaust the word of God. There's no subject about God or the word of God that is possible to be exhausted. You can't possibly teach everything there is to teach, but it is possible to, to reasonably, uh, comprehensively cover a subject. Uh, and so that's what I love about teaching the series in the studio. So, uh, I'm not wasting time. I'm trying to get across to you this point. This lesson is not going to be short. Uh, I am going to teach to whatever degree he wants me to teach this. I would venture to say uh, it will go at least till 6 p.m. my time and possibly after. I will stop as soon as he tells me he's not going to flow anymore. And so the good thing for you is this. If you uh, can't finish this today or don't want to watch it all today, it's all available immediately on Facebook and on my Apostolic Iron YouTube channel uh, to be to watch immediately. And you can watch it whenever, however you want to do that. The uh, time constraint is this. Uh, these things need to be received and prayed about in order for us to pray with the full understanding and authority that God would have for us to pray with next week. Uh, why haven't you taught all this stuff before? Because I've taught the things that God gave me to teach to those that were participating with my Zoom calls and the other stuff that I've taught live. Uh, this is what he wanted taught now. I don't, I just work here. 
he tells me what to do, I do that. I don't try to sit around and figure out everything he's doing and saying. That's not my, uh, that's way, way above my pay grade. In fact, there's only one who uh, operates at that pay grade, and that's the Almighty God. So here we go. Uh, lesson number two, after all that wandering, and that should have given a few more people a chance to get caught up and get connected here so that we can go forward together. And I, uh, I, I don't know how many of you are watching live, but God bless you and thank you for the privilege of being a conduit to minister to you today. We're going to talk about sons of God. I've already said that. Uh, one of the most uh, powerful texts, and this is where I'm going to start, is 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Uh, the Greek word literally there is not the word for sons, but for children. For those of you that kind of have a problem with the fact that this is a masculine word, it was translated in 1611, uh, the King James was, and so it wasn't such a, a concern about uh, uh, the sexual or the the, the gender uh, uses of words, or if it was being translated today as several modern translations, they would be very careful to say children here. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons or children of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now. Say to yourself, now. Just make the emphasis to your mind. Let your ears and therefore your mind hear your mouth say, now. But beloved, now are we the sons of God. This is not a future tense situation. We are the sons or children of God now. The King James continues, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. And I will say this again, in many, many places in the Bible where there is a male pronoun used, uh, there is no intent for it to be only males being talked to. Uh, some may not like that, but it's true, and I'm not going to take the time to prove that's the case today, but I have studied it, and it is true. Okay? Uh, so let's talk about, uh, let's talk about this place we have in God, this amazing place. Behold what manner of love. Uh, the Greek there is, uh, literally speaking about a love that is foreign to this world, a love that this world can't relate to. It is a love beyond our human ability to comprehend that the infinite I am God who created all of this as the father and 
came to this earth, manifested in the flesh so that we could relate to him as humans. Uh, it's That's so foreign to this world. They don't understand this. It's not a matter of capability of understanding because it is not understood intellectually. It is not understood by the human mind. It has to be understood by spiritual revelation. And it is the privilege of God and the unique characteristic of God, of deity versus humanity, that God is able to hide things and uncover or reveal things. He can not only tell us the past, he can tell us the present, but he can also tell us the future. He calls those things that are not as though they were. And so he says to us 2,000 years ago, and the word is just as active and real today as when it was written down 1,900 or so years, whatever it was, when uh, the, the epistle, first epistle of John was written. Uh, now, this word now applied then, this word now applies right now. Now, right now, are we the sons of God? Notice it didn't say right now, are we church members? It doesn't say right now, are we the converts or the adherents of uh, converts to or the adherents of a religion? It didn't even say that we are disciples. Uh, the word disciple is used many times in the four gospels. But after about, I think it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's either somewhere around the eighth chapter of the book of Acts or the 11th chapter, somewhere in there. Uh, I'm not nailing it down specifically. But in the middle at the latest of the book of Acts, the word disciple is not used again. The word is saint and, uh, and sons and whatever. So there, the Lord's trying to communicate something to us. Now, uh, Bill Gates apparently gives money to charity, but when he buys his son, of course, his son's older now, when he buys his son a Lamborghini, it's not charity. That's his son. If he gives to someone he's not related to, it's charity. If he gives to his son, it's relationship. Big difference. And so we'll go through this. Now, it's very important that you understand me from the beginning. Because as I teach to you the word, and there's a lot of word I'm going to be covering today, you will have to understand that I'm not making you and I equal to Jesus Christ or the Christ or the Son of God. Not equal at all. But when you read these verses, you will find that the born-again child of God is not... It classified in the same way that all other human beings are still classified. Something happens. In the new birth, we are literally born the second time. 
And naturally speaking, we still have the same father and mother. But in this new birth, we have a new father and a new mother. Galatians 4 says the new Jerusalem, which is the church, is the mother of us all, spiritually speaking. And God is our father, spiritually speaking. We have a new birth. So while naturally, for this time, we are still here naturally, but spiritually, we are a new man created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are his workmanship. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are, we are recreated, but we're also being transform just like a brand new baby comes out of the womb as a human being they don't become a human being when they turn 21 in fact uh sometimes we become less human the older we get uh, i'm not trying to be offensive but it's just like that unfortunately people make choices that that show that they don't even have common humanity anymore they become less and less uh, human. Uh, they show the weaknesses of their f flesh. Uh, but uh, the Bible says no man has ever yet hated his own flesh. And yet some people degenerate into a lifestyle that is so self-destructive that either the word of God is wrong or they have wandered that far from what the word of God says about humanity. Humanity is born with survival instincts. Humanity is born with, created with, desires to not perish. And yet people slowly make choices that degenerate their lives into such self-destructive behavior. You can't believe that they are not hating their own selves. So, we come out of the womb as this brand new baby, but God in his wisdom and according to his plan is constantly working in our lives to bring us into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. Ephesians chapter four. Uh, I think that's around verse 13, 14, somewhere in there. He's constantly working in us to, 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 to take us from being conformed to this world and its fads and fashions and opinions and whatever in being transformed into this new creature with this new mindset and this new way of thinking so that we can mature as Christians and be so that we can fulfill this place that he has in us. And again, there's not near enough time to teach all of this. So all I can possibly do in this is just sow some seeds of thoughts by the Holy Ghost into your mind, into your heart, into your spirit. And then you have to decide what you're going to do with those seeds of, of revelation. You're going to have to... Uh, you're going to have to water them. You're going to have to cultivate that. You're going to have to give it a chance for it to grow and produce fruit in your life. Then fruitfulness is an indication of maturity. And maturity means you have grown up 
in this place. So again, the Lord wants us to know what we are supposed to be, what his intention is for us to become so that we can fulfill our place in him. So I'm reading to you Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Uh, We read it in the last part or the last lesson. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate or foreordain to be conformed to the image of his son. That's not talking about just in the likeness that the eye can see, but that we become, we become spiritually what Christ was on the earth. He was the son of God, but we are born again as sons of God. Amen. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Whoa, who's his brethren? Did uh, Mary have any more children by the Holy Ghost? No. Every person that is born again of water and the Spirit is born again as a son of God. And he claimed us as his brethren. And again, sisters, that's not leaving you out. In this context, again, you are one of his siblings, of the siblings of his flesh. The Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary and caused him to be conceived and born. We started out with natural parents, but when we come to God and we're born again, We now have the same father he did in this new life. And we have a spiritual mother in this new life. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. And whom he called, then he also justified. And whom he justified, then he also glorified. On another occasion, in Matthew 12, they said uh, his mother... And his brothers and sisters were outside wanting to speak to him. This was his response. For whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. So he was claiming that those that were not born of the same womb that he was, that if they were born of the same spiritual womb and had the same focus of life, which is doing the will of the Father, they are his his brother and his sister and his mother. Matthew 28, verses 9 and 10, he said this, And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren. He wasn't talking about his half-brothers, who he shared the mother uh, Mary with as their mother. And uh, uh, as their half brother or half sis- his half brother, half sister, he was talking about as they went to tell his disciples, he called his disciples his brethren. The man Christ Jesus called the disciples his brethren. But it gets much more <laughs> uh, amazing than that. 
I'm not going to read all of Hebrews chapter 2, but I'll read starting with verse 5 for now. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak, but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he, he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. So all things have been put under his feet by promise, but in practical fact, they are not yet all under his feet. Now we'll be talking about that more somewhat in this lesson in the next or part in the next few parts. We will get into the how significant that is, but let me continue reading now in verse nine. I'll read verse 8 again. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Wait a minute. That's what he said about man. Verses 6 and 7. What is man? They are mindful in that son of man you visit. You made him lower than the angels. And now it says, verse 9, but we see Jesus. Speaking of the humanity of Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, who, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And the word perfect there means brought to completion or to finish or mature, maturity through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He died to bring many sons in the, unto glory. And we're sons of God. He was made like us so he could save us. He was given humanity that could be tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He was given humanity that could hunger and get tired and needed to take a nap in a boat in the middle of a storm. Or who was hungry and needed to eat. He had humanity that was able to weep. He had humanity that prayed. And that humanity was the sacrifice giving the life and the blood of the only body that God ever had, the only visible representation of God that he's ever had, ever will have, and for the purpose of causing us to be born again as sons of God. But when we're born as sons of God, it makes us brethren of the Christ. 
same father. <laughs> Verse 12, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He died and was resurrected so we could be set free from the fear of death. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Well, it gets even... More amazing. I'm going to re begin reading with Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and I'll read quickly till I get down to the area that I want to make the point. But I need to start reading with this as the preamble. Uh, only the preamble to the subject I'm going to be talking about. None of this is preamble. All of this is important stuff. Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's no period after to them that walk, to them which are in Christ Jesus. It, that's qualified. You can say, well, I'm in Christ Jesus. Yes, but it, there's a qualification put on there. Uh, it's not enough to be in Christ Jesus. You have to walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Some believe that we're not under any law. Well, that's not what this says. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin of the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that... For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject or submitted to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And the word can there is the verb form of dunamis or power. Those that are in the flesh have no a power or ability to please God. If I'm walking after my flesh, I'm in Christ, but I'm walking after my flesh. In fact, I'm an enemy of God if I'm in Christ, but walking after my flesh. I didn't write this. It's in the book. You read it. <laughs> So then, then they're in the flesh cannot please God. Why is he making these qualifications? You'll see why. Because the privileges that are about to follow are the responsibilities and the, and God's expectations 
uh, for those that are going to receive the privileges I'm about to read are spelled out here very specifically. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus, the man from the dead, dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. I can be a Christian. I can be in the body of Christ. But I'm not living after the spirit that put me in the body of Christ. I'm living according to my flesh and my will. And if I live after the flesh, Paul said, you shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify or put to death the influence of the body and the deeds the body performs, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Oh, you see, it's not enough to say you have the Spirit. But you've got to be governed by the Spirit. Because the Greek word translated spiritual, according to Thayer's, has both of those parts to it. Being filled with the Spirit, being governed by the Spirit. And if I'm being governed by the Spirit, then the Spirit of the Lord is leading me. Not just three times a week when I go to church. Not just when I put in my prayer time, read my few scriptures for the day so I fulfill my religious obligation. But 24-7, yeah, he bought you and I with a price. We are not our own. We're not our own. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, why is all that important? Because of what's about to come. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the translation of a Hebrew or Aramaic word in the text. And Father is the translation of the Greek word for Father. Our spirit cries out, Father, Father, in any language necessary. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And what is the most common suffering? Suffering that every spiritual child of God endures? The suffering of having to say no to our flesh, and our will, and live according to the word of God in a way that pleases him. And I call that suffering in the sense that we have to die out to our humanity to live in the spirit. 
Now, there's other things we can go through that are suffering, but that's what Christ, that's how Christ suffered. He was tempted in all points, yes, yet like as we are, like as we are yet without sin. Yeah, he, he endured rejection and all that, but they didn't do anything physically to him until it was time for him to be crucified. And he went through all of the stuff they did to him in crucifixion almost stoically for the most part with great peace. The suffering that he went through that we all go through is in the garden when he did not want to partake of sin. He was sinless. But in order to die in our place, he had to drink the cup, figurative language, for partaking, taking our sins into himself as if he did them so that he could pay the penalty for them. To do that, he had to die out once and for all forever to his own human will. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as I thou will. So as I die out to my flesh and to my will, I am then positioned to be a heir of God and a joint heir with Christ right here. Now, and I'm not talking about of natural things, I'm not talking about money and lands and position and power. I'm talking about our natural power. I'm talking about being able to walk in fellowship with God and to be his vessel, his instrument, his conduit for his word, his spirit, his power, his authority, his name, etc., etc., etc. That is the greatest privilege and blessing we can possibly experience in this life is to be a part of his kingdom, a part of his plans, a part of his purpose, and to be a conduit for the manifestation of his name, the manifestation and demonstration of his kingdom, and for the doing of his will in the earth. In Jesus' name. Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So in order to be in Christ, I have to be baptized into Christ. That's not my doctrine. It says it right here, Galatians three twenty-seven. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. That's why I said earlier that these scriptures that talk about the privileges and promises made to he and him and whatever, in Christ Jesus, there's neither male nor female. We're all his children. We're all his children. And I've said it this way. Male and female, we're all sons of God individually. But collectively, male and female, we're all a part of the bride of Christ. Amen. Verse 29. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Heirs of the promise. Heirs of what's promise? Abraham's promise, which is a subject for another time. But Abraham, God made promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 22. And if you and I are children of Abraham by faith, then we are heirs of those same promises spiritually. 
He promised that the, the blessing of Abraham would come on every family in the earth in Genesis 12, and the blessing of Abraham would come on every nation on earth uh, in Genesis 22. In fact, he swore with an oath against his own deity that he was going to do that. And Galatians 3 tells us what the blessing of Abraham is in Galatians 3, 14. It is the Gentiles receiving the promise of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, being a son is more than just receiving uh, an inheritance from the Father. Uh, I don't have to die, or the Father doesn't have to die, to for my son as a father, I don't have to die for my sons to benefit from what I have. They don't have to die. Now, when I die, they will divide up whatever is left that I haven't given away for the most part. Uh, they will be able to divide that between them as their inheritance if I die before the rapture. Uh, but as a father, a living father, I can give things to my sons. And God has done exactly that. First of all, he demonstrated that in the person of Christ or in the, the manifestation of God as Christ. That humanity was, uh, was given privileges of deity because deity dwelt in him. Well, I have deity dwelling in me. That doesn't make me God. But it sure makes me a place where deity dwells. Bible says, according to Peter, that by these exceeding great and precious promises, we've been made partakers of the divine nature. And that word partaker there means one who has their portion or share of what? The divine nature. That this flesh is still flesh, but God lives in here. But I'm not supposed to make God a prisoner. He came in to abide in here so that he can use me as his instrument, his vessel, his conduit for his word, for his spirit, for his power, for his authority, for his kingdom, for his name, for his will, for his plan, for his purpose in Jesus name. I'm not going to read it all, but one of the, one of the most notable places that really tells us what the father does is, uh, the story of the prodigal. Uh, now when a, when a story that Jesus is telling starts with a certain man, I have been taught and believe that that is not a, that's not a, a an allegory in the sense of it's a, just an example that didn't happen. It's just whatever. Uh, it's, it, I've been taught that this is a literal story that actually happened, but that Jesus is using as an example of spiritual principles. And a certain man had two sons and the youngest one wanted his inheritance now because he wanted to go do his own thing. And he did that. And he went out and did his own thing, but he spent all that money and lost it all. And then now he is very hungry and he gets a job just trying to eat, uh, feeding pigs and, 
the Jews, of course, don't eat pig, and they don't keep pigs, not if they obey the word of God. Uh, they don't raise pigs because they don't eat pig, et cetera, et cetera. Who are you going to sell that to, right? And so uh, he was so hungry that he came to himself and said, my fathers have servants have enough to eat. I'm going to go home and say to my father, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore, uh, but just let me be a servant uh, because you take good care of your servants. And so he does, but obviously the father had been watching for him and uh, had was expecting him and a great distance off. Somehow the father knew that little puff of cloud that's made by a human being walking by themselves instead of a large group of people or even somebody on horseback. He knew that was his son and he ran that great distance to him and fell on his neck with him filthy. Probably his clothes were in rags. Uh, he, I'm sure he didn't smell very good, but the father fell on his neck and embraced him and kissed him in the condition he was in at that moment. And, of course, the son starts his speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven, this is Luke 15, and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, the father didn't even address what the word, what the son said. Did he hear it? Yes. Was he elated by it? Yes. Because he knew that something that needed to be broken in his son was broken. That pride, that arrogancy, that self-sufficiency that, uh, that only wanted to live for itself, that wanted to uh, love pleasure and live pleasure more than loving God, uh, what well, it was broken. So the father did not directly respond to what the son said. The father said to his servants, his servants, did his servants run with him out to where the, the, the boy was? Apparently so. And what the, what the rest of this verse indicates is the father had it all planned what he was going to do when the boy came home. And the servants knew their role. Somebody ran with the robe, somebody ran with shoes, and somebody had the ring. Because the, he runs to his son. He, uh, he has, uh, I'll read verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son says and gives the speech and the father said to his servants, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Kill the fatted calf or uh, bring the fatted calf, kill it. We're going to eat and be merry because my son that was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now, the significance of that ring is not possible to overstate. It's not possible to overstate the significance of that ring. Because that ring had to have been the father's signet ring or his signature ring before they signed documents with a signature. Uh, the person in power or who was the owner or the father or whatever had a ring that had a mark on it and that whenever business was done 
they would uh, leave behind an impression of that mark, meaning I have agreed to this business, I've agreed to the terms, and we are doing business together. So that ring gave this prodigal son, who was immediately forgiven by the father, the, the, the authority and power to represent his father in matters of business of the father's business. That meant he could spend the father's money. That meant that he could act in the father's name. That meant he could represent the father and obligate the father uh, because the father would become uh, uh, committed to whatever the person with the signet ring decided to do. Now, as a demonstration of this, we are, I'm going to read quickly Genesis chapter 41, beginning with verse 37. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, uh, as this is a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Uh, so, uh, uh, Joseph get, interpreted Pharaoh's dream about seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh says, can we find someone many more qualified to oversee this uh, seven years of famine as uh, as Joseph, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God had showed thee all of this, all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and over and according to thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. What? What an amazing thing. This all happened the day he was taken out of the dungeon where he'd been spending a, a while, a couple of years at least, because of Potiphar, his master's wife, who lied on him. Yeah. If it wasn't, it, 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 you know, there were others that had fine clothes. There were others that had a gold chain around their neck. There were others that had fine chariots. But that ring, that ring said to everybody, that's Pharaoh's ring, that's Pharaoh's authority, that's Pharaoh's word. And when I speak, it's as if Pharaoh is speaking. That's exactly how faith works. The Spirit of God speaks to me. I believe what the Spirit of God says. That's called Rhema. <coughs> and then, by the Spirit of God, I speak that Rhema. 
I don't speak that rhema in my authority. I don't speak that rhema in my name. I don't speak that rhema in my power. But I speak it in the authority, the power, and in the name of the one who abides in me, the one who is over all, who sits on the throne. Now, in the next lesson or so, you'll see how significant that really is. Because the Bible says we've been made, we have been made already. According to Paul in Ephesians, we've already been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Already. Already. This is the kind of authority and power he has trusted the submitted people, trusted to or with the submitted people who are walking in his spirit and doing his will and not their own. This isn't about how big a congregation you got. This isn't about how well known your name is. The only thing that matters is whether or not God knows your name because you're his child. You're his son. You're the brother of Christ. And you've been given his name and his authority, his power. And we are supposed to use it. And how often in my 74 years of attending a Pentecostal church have I heard people pray this way, Oh God, please would you help us? Would you do this? Would you do that? And if you read Matthew 10, and you read Luke 9 and Luke 10, you'll see where he told them to go cast out devils. He told them to go heal the sick. He told them to go manifest his kingdom and preach the gospel of the kingdom. They weren't doing it themselves. They were a conduit for it. But they didn't go ask him to do it. He told them to go let him do it through them. That's my paraphrase. And so he didn't, they didn't go addressing God when it came time to pray for somebody that was sick. They spoke to the sickness. They didn't ask God to cast out the devil. They spoke to the devil. That's the difference between knowing God through religion and knowing God through relationship as a son of God. I'm not attending church just to be saved. I'm not doing the do's and not doing the do, do nots just so I can be saved. But I'm a child of God. I was born again. I was given the family name in water baptism. I've been made a partaker of the divine nature in spirit baptism. I am a child of God, a son of God, a brother of the man, Christ Jesus. I am a joint heir of Christ. I am an heir of God. I'm a child of Abraham by faith. And God expects me to act like I believe that. And that's what we're going to be doing if you're not already doing it. That's what we're going to be doing in spiritual warfare. We're not going to be asking God to do anything. 
We're going to be letting God speak in prayer and with authority through us. We're going to be letting him do it. Because when we're asking him to do it, we're not letting him do it the way he has ordained it to be done. And there's a whole lot of people, nice people, maybe sincere, but blind because they pray, but they're constantly praying, asking God to do this and ask God to do that. And God, don't let this happen. And God, give me this. And God changed that. When he said, speak to the mountain. He'll give us words to speak. In Jesus' name. I won't go into it, but another demonstration of the ring is when uh, King Ahasuerus, Esther's husband, after Haman was defeated, God uh, or Ahasuerus took the ring he had given Haman as his right-hand man and gave it to Mordecai as his right-hand man for all to know that Mordecai represented Ahasuerus. Let's go back to talking about the sons of God here for a minute. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 10, says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him... To them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Now, my wife and I have had two sons that lived. And I don't mean that flippantly. Uh, one did not come all the way to full term. It would have been the eldest. But uh, we had two sons that lived. And... Uh, both of those were my sons immediately upon birth. Well, actually, they were my sons when they were in their mother's womb. And uh, I, you know, and they got my name. They were given the family name. Praise God. Uh, but they had to grow and mature to be trusted by me with things that required someone mature enough to utilize. Of course, when they were little, they wanted to play with knives and other stuff around. You didn't let them play with matches. You didn't let them play with knives, kitchen knives, any kind of that. Then you didn't let them drive the car at 14, even though they were sure they could because they weren't mature enough. It's not about having the physical dexterity to steer a car between two lines down the road. It's about having the maturity enough to be responsible with that great power that can do great things, get you from point A to point B, or can do horrible things, kill yourself or somebody else. So he said, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, 
full of grace and truth. So we were born again by the will of God. Now, we had to submit to God's will to be born again. But that's the only part we could play in it, was submit to God's will for him then to empower us to be born again. Otherwise, we were just being dunked in the water. And that means nothing. Otherwise, we're just saying words that we don't understand or sounds, making sounds we don't understand. But that doesn't make it make them the utterance of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So how do I, how do I walk in this power and authority of a son of God? Galatians 2.20 says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, right now, the life I'm now living in the flesh is Christ liveth in me and I'm living it by means of the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. So when I am dead to myself, to my will, and Christ is living in me because he cannot abide in me if I'm living by my will and not the Father's, and if I am uh, allowing him and his faith to flow through me, to be manifested through me, the life which I now live, it's living doesn't mean just breathing, but in this context, having a manner of life, a course of life, a life, life. I live it by the faith of the Son of God. Some modern translations say by faith in the Son of God. But the Greek preposition in is not there. It is of the Son of God. Of the Son of God is a prepositional phrase of possession. Another way of saying of the Son of God is the Son of God's apostrophe S. So the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the Son of God's faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, we have the same spirit of faith as it is written, I have believed, therefore I've spoken. We believe, therefore we speak. So if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the rhema of God, then the son of God's faith is the word he gives us and then empowers us to speak. So let's look at what Jesus said the Son of God's faith was. John chapter 5, verse 19. The, then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, Verily, verily I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. So whatever 
the son sees the father do. That's what he does. Ah, but he also speaks whatever the father says. John eight twenty six. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. But he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. So I hear the Spirit of the Lord speaking his word. I believe that word. And then the word compels me to yield to him and speak audibly those words he speaks in here. That is the son of God's faith. But that's not all. Let's go. John 12, verse 49. For I have not spoken of myself, but the father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. In other words, the things I'm speaking, I'm not speaking by the will of the flesh. I'm not speaking them because I like what they sound like or because I'm not afraid of what somebody's going to respond to. When I say that, he's saying that the things he gives me to say are commandments. And if I don't say it, I'm disobeying the commandment, which then makes me disobedient. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father, this is John 12, 49, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, Even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Verse 14, John 14, verse 10. Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father which dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. How is that possible? If if the man Christ Jesus could do nothing except what the Father did and said through him, if we're doing greater works than him because he goes to the Father, the only way we can do greater works than him is that we have the spirit of the father in us saying and doing and we say what he says and do what he does that is the faith of the son of god and then jesus said it this way to us that are his the sons of god john 17 18 as thou hast sent me into the world Even so, have, not will, not future tense, have, I also sent them into the world. As you sent me, and according to the Greek, in the exact same manner in which you sent me, I am sending them. So if the man Christ Jesus being sent into the world makes him the second person of the Trinity, then the church being sent in the world as he was sent in the world at the very least makes the church the fourth person of the Trinity. I'm not trying to be unkind or rude or offensive to you. And I have heard people say, well, the father sent him into the world. That's what makes him the God, the son. 
Well, what does it make us if the Son of God sends us into the world in the same manner in which he was sent into the world? What does that make us? It doesn't make us gods. It makes us temples of the Holy Ghost, temples where God dwells. It makes us God's house individually and collectively. And whatever that authority is, Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, obviously expected you and I to have it because he said, if we believe on him, the works that he did shall we do also. (coughs) Do we? Do we say the Father's words? Can the Father in his own name speak his words through us? Do we see what the Father does and do we do that in the Father's name? Do we? That's what sons do. So let's get some idea of what the, what the power of the sons of God is. During tribulation, the seven years of tribulation, Revelation 11, 6, there will be two men in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. And these two, the two witnesses, these two prophets of God, have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with plagues as often as they will. So you mean these two witnesses have that kind of power and the sons of God, the brethren of Christ don't. Well, let's read this. This is in the written in the new Testament, but it's written about somebody in the old Testament. James chapter five, verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, availeth or accomplishes much. (coughs) Excuse me. Elias, Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again after three and a half years. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth brought forth her fruit. Men did. Men prayed that. Men did that. One man prayed prayed that the the sun would stand still. And uh, it did for 24 hours. Because of Israel fighting a war. And the enemy was on the run. And the man of God asked that God would cause the sun to stand still to give them opportunity to fulfill the word of God and completely defeating the enemy. How about another time where the the sun was rolled back 40 minutes as a sign to confirm the word of God. And there's any child of God that's not that God is not willing for us to pray such miraculous things to confirm his word? Or is it not being done because we just don't believe it yet? (coughs) 
Sorry. Sons of God. Brethren with Christ. Heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Right now. <clears throat> right now, the sons of God. How about this? You say, well, that doesn't really apply to us. So the apostles were superhumans. How about Acts chapter four, verse, Acts chapter five, verse 14. And the believers were the more added to the church and multitudes, both men, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at, at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And there came also a multitude out of the cities round about on Jerusalem, bringing sick, fo sick folks, sick folks, and them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Now, it's one thing to preach or teach that as a doctrine. It's another thing to see it happen. It's another thing altogether to see it happen. This happened in the church age. This, this, I didn't read that about something that happened before the church age or that's going to happen in the seven years of wrath. This happened in the church age. How about the man born out of due season? How about the man that saw Christ as a bright light on the road to Damascus? Acts 19, verse 11. And God, God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out from them. And this handkerchief or apron, this piece of cloth that Paul wore or had next to his body as he prayed, they took that. Did that piece of cloth do that? Did Peter's shadow do that? No, no. It was the power and authority they had in God. And Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Does that mean I've got to go buy a bunch of handkerchiefs and carry them around my pocket while I pray? No. It means that we should be willing to believe that God can do the unusual as well as the miraculous through us. That he's not bound to do it by some method, some spiritual supernatural method that we've learned that we always are repeating that God can do it in so many different ways. One way, he's in a boat asleep, they wake him up, he calms the storm. In another way, they're in the boat in the middle of a storm, the Lord's not with them, and here he comes walking on the water. And all he has to do is step into the boat in the waves and the storm ceases. And he said, the works that I do, shall ye do also, and greater works than these shall ye do, because I go to my Father. Jesus' name. Let's go back to the original text here. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. 
Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him, purified hope in him, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. The Rotherham uh, emphasized Bible reads this way of those two verses. But behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that children of God we should be called, and such we are. Therefore the world understandeth us not, because it understood not him. Beloved, now are we children of God, and not yet hath it been made manifest what we shall be. But we know that if it should be made manifest like unto him, shall we be, because we shall see him just as he is. The Passion Translation reads this way. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished upon us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. The reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is that they didn't recognize him. Huh. Beloved, we are God's children right now. However, it is not yet apparent what we will become. But we do know that when it is finally made visible, we will be just like him, for we shall see him as truly as he truly is. Is this just talking about the way he is right now? Or will we be manifested as sons of God in the earth like he was manifested as the son of God in the earth? The Passion Translation Commentary makes this statement. The Aramaic can be translated, it has not been revealed until now what we are destined to be. Many translations view the subject of the Greek verb, uh, and I can't pronounce it, uh, phanereoth, othi or whatever, to be Christ when he is revealed. But in the immediate context, what we will become is the subject and makes better grammatical sense. It's not what Christ will become. He's already what he was become. He became what the, he became the son of God manifested on the earth. And now he is sitting on the throne of the universe, ruling over the universe. According to Ephesians chapter one, we'll talk about in a later, uh, part of this subject or lesson. Another commentator, comment made by the uh, translators of the Passion Translation, the Greek word phaneru uh, means to make clear, to make visible. And it comes from the Greek word phino, which means to shine. John is saying, we are not yet shining as we will one day. We are both children of God and reflections of God. We will shine in revelation someday. Now, Christ lived on the earth approximately 30 years and was essentially anonymous. Mary hid all the stuff that she saw and heard in her heart. She wasn't out declaring he was the Christ. His brothers and sisters who were children of Joseph and Mary 
they didn't know who he was. They didn't know who he was. At one point early on in his ministry, they tried to uh, they tried to protect him from himself. His brothers, his half brothers, they didn't believe he was the Christ immediately. John the Baptist was his second cousin. Mary and John the Baptist's mother Elizabeth were cousins. That makes Jesus and John the Baptist second cousins. And Mary visited Elizabeth while she was expecting, while they were both expecting. And I have every reason to believe that it's reasonable to assume that John and Jesus probably knew each other as children and young men. And even into their late 20s. And maybe they played together as children. And as boys would want to do, they probably wrestled around a little bit. That's why John needed that sign, uh, not of the of a bird landing on Jesus when he baptized him, but the Holy Ghost in a vision as, as it was a dove lighting upon Jesus as the sign that this... Your second cousin here that you've known all this time, he really, he's the Christ. He's the Christ. And you can understand why John, in being imprisoned, would send messengers because in, in, in the disappointed state he's in of being uh, 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 baptized or being in Christ or being in prison, he wants to know, are you the one we're just to come or do we look for another? So what was going on in those 30 years of Jesus' life that was essentially anonymous? We don't know much, but I'm reading from Hebrews 5, verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity? And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And he said also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. <sighs> Christ learned obedience by suffering. And being made perfect or mature, complete, ready to be who he was supposed to be in his three plus years of ministry, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. 
So Christ spent 30 years learning how to submit himself, his flesh, his human will to the spirit of God that dwelt in him. But there came a day in his lifetime where he was manifested, where he was manifested as the son of God to the last days of the Old Testament. That was the Old Testament. The Old New Testament did not begin until the day of Pentecost, according to Paul's teaching in Hebrews 9, that a testament is not in effect or in force until after the death of the testator. Christ died at the end of the Matthew, the end of Mark, at the end of Luke, at the end of John. So those books were transition books, but the covenant still in effect was the Old Covenant. The new covenant did not begin till the day of Pentecost. And so Christ was manifested at the end of the old covenant as the son of God. But the day eventually came when he locked that carpenter shop for the last time and he walked out of anonymity into full manifestation. And according to the word of God, the sons of God in these last days of the new covenant are going to be manifested in the earth. And that's why he said, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Because while God is unlimited and infinite, the God manifested in that flesh, could that work could only be done in one place at a time. Otherwise, why did he walk all those places? Why did he go to all those cities and villages? And so therefore, for greater work to be done, every one of us has to become in manifestation the sons of God he's called us to be. We are his brethren, the scripture says. He is the captain of our salvation. That makes us the troops that are saved. This is what God's called us to do. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse, or verse 17 and 18 says, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. The Amplified says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, emancipation from bondage of freedom. And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the Word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into His very own image in ever in ever increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Weiss Expanded Translation says it this way. It says, But the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now as for us, we all, with uncovered face, reflecting as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are having our outward expressions changed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, according as this change of expression proceeds from the Lord 
the Spirit. This outward expression comes from and being truly representative of our Lord. We are we are being changed into and we're going to be brought into glory or manifestation in this life so that we can be the demonstration and the manifestation of the sons of God in the earth for the lost of this world's sake. The Rotherham emphasized Bible reads this way, and the Lord is the spirit now where the spirit of one who is Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, receiving and reflecting the glory of the Lord into this same image, are being transformed from glory into glory, and might I add, into glory, into glory. It's a progressive thing. Nobody goes from zero to 60 in this. Even as from a spirit... That is the Lord. And finally, the, the Passion Translation says, Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And wherever He is Lord, there is freedom. We can all draw close to Him with the veil removed from our faces. Like Moses took the veil off and His face shone. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into His very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit that we have inside, who is working this transformation from the inside out. But there comes a point in time where we become the sons of God in maturity for God to manifest himself through us. I'm reading now Romans chapter 8 verse 18. I stopped at verse 17 earlier because we are heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ. That's verse 17. Verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestations, manifestation of the sons of God. This earth is groaning in travail, waiting for the sons of God to be manifested because that is what needs, it will happen to conclude the church age so that the worldwide end time apostolic revival and harvest can occur that will complete the church age, that will complete the time of the Gentiles. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but we ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, 
the redemption of the body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we, if we hope for that we see not, then we do we with patience wait for it. Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, as the uh, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for us, uh, intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to the, to his purpose. For, on this account, for this reason, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate or foreordain to be conformed into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate or foreordain, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And how are we glorified? John fifteen eight. Herein is our Father glorified, that we bear much fruit. So shall we be. So shall ye be my disciples. So we have to have the glory of God working through us to produce that fruit, so that God can be glorified through that fruit. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what was the purpose and work of the manifested Son of God? It's the same purpose and work of the manifested sons of God. First John chapter 3 verse 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. And he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Past tense. That he might destroy the works of the devil. The Greek word there, destroy, is the Greek word luo. It means to loosen. It means to loose anything, any person or thing tied or fastened. To loosen bandages of the feet, the shoes, to loosen the shoes. Uh, of a sing, uh, uh, to loosen one bound, to unbind, to release from bonds, to set free. Of one bound up or swathed in bandages, bound with chains, a prisoner to discharge from prison, to let go, to loosen, undo, dissolve anything bound, tied, compacted together, to do away with, to deprive of authority, whether by precept or act, to declare unlawful now, to loose what is compacted or built together. To demolish, to destroy, to dissolve something coherent into parts. And that word, the Son of God was manifested, he might destroy the works of the devil, is used in this verse. Or actually, it's the second verse I'm about to read. Matthew 16, 18 and 19. Chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt luo on earth shall be luo in heaven. Now, to get the full flavor of the Greek grammar here, and it's very important, I'm going to read a couple of translations. The Passion Bible says, I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm. I will give you the keys of heaven kingdom, heaven, heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. The amplified version is even more literal. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever you bind, uh, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, declare lawful on earth, must be what is already loosed in heaven. And then finally, we expanded translation of the New Testament, uh, Matthew sixteen nineteen. I shall give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth, forbidden to be done, shall have all shall have been already bound, forbidden to be done in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, permit to be done, shall have shall have already been loosed in heaven. Permitted to be done. In other words, we don't initiate the binding and loosing. But the deity living in us, the divine nature we've been made partaker of, the one that we are submitting ourselves to and doing His will, because it is not just the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Lord or the Spirit of the Son or the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit that we have in us, there's only one Spirit. That means we have the Spirit of the Father in us. Because there is but one God, the Father, 1 Corinthians 8 and 6. So we have the Father in us. And Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy Kingdom, sanctify thy name. Thy kingdom come in manifestation. Your will as it's already purposed in heaven come to pass and be done in the earth. He's God. Why do we need to pray that? Because he is the only one that can limit himself to work only through man. And he has done that. Why did he have to seek for a man among them? Why did he have to become a man when he couldn't find one? Why in Ezekiel 22 did he seek for a man to stand in the gap and make up the edge so that he wouldn't have to judge the people of God who were living in gross sin? But when he couldn't find one, he had to pour out his judgment. If he can do all that alone and he doesn't need us, need us because he's chosen to need us, then why do we have to pray like that? That's why the manifestation of the sons of God is going to happen before the rapture. Because for God to fulfill his plan in the earth, and since he's the only one that had the right to do it and he did it, he limited himself to deal with man in the earth through men, then the sons of God are going to be manifested in the earth just like the Son of God was. And the whole nation of Israel took sides. 
Some thought he was the Christ, believed he was the Christ, and some believed he was an imposter. But he was hated of all men because of who he was. And God's going to manifest the sons of God in the earth to such a degree that we're going to be hated of all men for his name's sake. How can they hate somebody they don't even know exists? So what is going to happen through the body of Christ? What is going to happen through the manifested sons of God in the earth between now and the catching away of the church that's going to cause the entire world to decide for us, against us, for our gospel, against our gospel, for our God, against our God. And they're not just going to make a neutral decision. Well, that's nice. That's what they believe. No, those that choose to reject him, either by actively rejecting him or just choosing not to choose, are going to hate us. That's the price. That's the price. But what privilege we have to be called to be sons of God now. And for us to be trained, Paul said that sons are, are under tutors until the time that it, for their adoption. And the word adoption there is used in a couple of different ways. It doesn't just mean taking a fatherless, parentless child and giving them a parent, but it also meant that the, the father's servants, his trusted servants, would train the child and treat the child like a servant to teach them all the responsibilities that the father wants to give them. And then when the servant says they have passed the test, then the father adopts them and gives them that ring and they now have the full authority of the father to do business in his name and for his kingdom. And that's what's happening now. God has brought things to such a head in this year. He has brought the body of Christ. He has passed down through the body of Christ with a sword. Those that are in Christ, but are living by their flesh and want comfort and want ease and want convenience. They have already separated themselves from God. It's just religion that they're now practicing. But those in the body of Christ that wants all the things of God, no matter what the price is to have that, no matter what they've got to go through to be conformed into the image of the Son so that God can do through us what he did through the man Christ Jesus at the end of the Old Testament so he can do through us at the end of the New Testament what he did through Christ then so that the world can see and know that Christ, the body of Christ lives on the earth and that the head of that body sits on the throne of the universe, ruling and reigning over everything far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in the world which is to come. Or shall I give a little more emphasis to it by switching it around? Not only in the world to come, but in this world far above. He is the head of the body. 
sitting on the throne of the universe. We have been made to sit together in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named in this world. And he's put all things under his feet. And he is now the head over all things to the body, which is his church. What the book says now, well, the feet of the body aren't connected to the head. The feet of the body are connected to the legs, which are a part of the body. And if he has put all things under his feet now, then all he's been waiting on, as we read in Hebrews 2, all things have not yet been put under his feet. But we're leaving this world as a glorious church, a church full of his glory and manifesting his glory. And Ephesians 2 and or 3 and verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. In this age, right now, that is not going to be completed until the rapture, he's going to be glorified through the church because his power and authority is going to be manifested through his body in prayer and in ministry of the word and do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. And what kind of impact is that going to have on the world? And in closing this lesson, which I am dumbfounded to say is going to be under two hours. Uh, I'm fine with that, but here it is. Daniel said in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. And we're being conformed into his image that the glory of God from glory to glory is going to be manifested through us. And we're, we're going to shine he, his glory into the earth as the light of the world. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people are going to be saved. The harvest of the earth is going to be reaped and then the rapture is going to take place. And we're going to go to heaven as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Because he has given himself fully to us and we have given ourselves fully to him that he can manifest and do all of his will, plan and purpose in the earth through us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him upon you and upon me in Jesus' name that we receive by the grace of God this revelation that we might know who we are in him and that we will allow him and yield to him that he might be all he is through us into this world that the lost of this world might have a chance to be saved, that they might fully see the choice. Even if they don't make the right choice, they will not go to hell and be able to say they never had a chance.
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is so. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let it be so. Amen. God bless you. I love you, but more important, Jesus loves you. Let's go forth as the manifested sons of God this week and next week and from now till the rapture. In Jesus' name, amen.